hand clap of appreciation. God bless you. Come on, could you give that unto the Lord here tonight? Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. From the depth of your soul, would there be a cry of thanksgiving here all over this building right now? For the Lord has brought you through. The Lord has brought you through. Hallelujah. There was a bomb in Gilead. Hallelujah. God has been good to us. God has been so kind, so precious. And uh, we, we thank, thank you for the opportunity once again to be here and uh, to minister the word of the Lord. I've got to be honest with you. Um, I am not speaking here tonight a typical uh, New Year's or New Year's Eve uh, message. But this is what I have felt, and I'm, I'm a little confused, but this is what I have felt to speak on here tonight. Um, I believe that it is very necessary. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. so in the name of Jesus Christ and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou where are you where are you uh, tonight I just want to speak my heart here for just several minutes on this subject God's question to a fatherless generation God's question to a fatherless generation. Father, I pray that you would anoint my lips as I speak the words of the Lord. That your people would hear what thus saith the Lord and then that we would come into a new decade, a new year with the understanding of what your question is for this generation. What your question is for this generation. Bring us the peace of mind, O oh God, that we need to understand your word, the ability to hear it, the clarity of speech, and also the ability of understanding among your people. And may we put it to practice in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building. Sometime before her death, uh, Lucille Ball did a television interview with uh, Merv Griffin. And uh, in that interview, Merv asked her a very serious question. The question that was asked of her was, Lucille, you've, you've lived a long time on this earth, and uh, you are a wise person. What has happened to our country? What has happened to our country? What is wrong with our children? Why are our families falling apart? What's missing? 
Lucille gave a startling reply and one that still resonates as an accurate portrayal of our generation even today. She said, Papa is missing. Papa is missing. In her day, Lucille had no way of knowing the startling statistics that we see today. And yet she gave a prophetic answer that depicts our current conditions in our time. See, we are living in what many have dubbed a fatherless generation. There is a father absence crisis in America today. I was reading up on some statistics uh, earlier this afternoon, and according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, that's more than a quarter of the children in the United States of America, one in four, live without a father in the home. According to reputable and well-documented sources, fatherless children are three times more likely to have a child out of wedlock. Fatherless children are seven times more likely to become teen mothers. Fatherless children are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs and twice as likely to drop out of high school. Fatherless children are 1.4 times as likely to be out of school and out of work. And they are two to three times more likely to have had emotional or behavioral problems. Fatherless children are four times as likely to commit suicide. According to Getting Men Involved, the newsletter of the Bay Area Male Involvement Network, 63% of youth suicides come from father-deprived homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from father-deprived homes. 85% of all children exhibiting behavioral disorders come from father-deprived homes. 80% of rapists motivated by displaced anger, again, no father. 71% of all high school dropouts, no father. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions. 85% of all youths in prison grew up in father-deprived homes. Friends, welcome to the 21st century. And unfortunately, we are living in a society that is characterized by fatherlessness. And the problem with that is that there are deep consequences that every single person pays when family units are deprived of their naturally and divinely ordained leader. There is a father factor in nearly all the social ills that is facing America, that America is facing today. You see, there was a day and time when men accepted their God-given responsibility of being the spiritual leader and moral leader of their home. They would spend time with their children. They would teach them to observe all of God's instructions and commandments. They were willing to love and lead their families in a servant leadership role. But unfortunately, that day is long gone. 
And the question is, what has happened to godly fathers in today's generation? Who knows where they are? Father, where are you? There, there was a series of historical events in our American history, beginning at the Industrial Revolution, which led to the disestablishment of American men from a true role of fatherhood and moral leadership in our land. You see, the American male at one time was the ever-present guide of the close-knit colonial family. But at the Industrial Revolution, he left his family for the factory and the materialistic lure that the Industrial Revolution brought about. Make money, they said. Become rich. Live the American dream. That's where the American dream comes from, the, the, the Industrial Revolution. That was the notion that detached the male out of the home and into the workplace. At the inception of this nation, the most numerous and most active members of the church were men and not women. Today, it is the exact opposite, the exact opposite. The typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd that is 61% female. And this gender gap shows, all, shows up in all age categories. On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in American churches. Let, let's just not throw these numbers around as if the issue only affects single women that are not married and don't have a man to bring to church. This Sunday, almost 25% of married church-going women will worship without their husbands. And it even gets worse during the week. Week Midweek activities draw about 80% female participants all around our nation. Over 70% of the boys who are being raised in church will abandon it during their teens and their 20s. And many of these boys will never return. You see, history tells us that during the colonial period, men commonly debated theology in the colonial marketplace. But at the Industrial Revolution, these same men now found themselves arguing business practices, not in the marketplaces, but in the taverns. The fathers who had labored hard to instill in their children the value of cooperation were now giving their children the example of individual competition. These were men who once taught their children how to respect and obey and how to have uh, obedience toward godly authority and they came to act as though independence was a national virtue. Men who once had an active hand in the education of their sons relegated this responsibility to a public school system dominated by female teachers. Do you know that the primary teachers in the colonial era were all men? Not anymore. About 77% of teachers in America are now women. Friends, America has lost its understanding of what it means to be a godly father as a male parent. The dictionary defines a father as a male parent, the progenitor of offspring, the progenitor of offspring. And our society has accepted that definition as the exclusive definition for the word father. 
But friends, I've, I've got news for you. A father is not merely the instrument for offspring breeding. A father is not merely someone who donates sperm and, and, and paints a room or two or pays the bills. That is not the extent of what a father is. Author Clayton Barbu, he wrote, the notion of responsibility is at the crux of true fatherhood. The notion of responsibility is at the crux of true fatherhood. A sense of responsibility for the physical and the spiritual well-being of others is the mark of a true father. America, he has it right tree of life church he has it right and so i ask you again here tonight as we go in into a, another decade of life what is the mark of a true father a father is not just a progenitor a father is a man who is defined by a sense of responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being of his family that is a true father the mark of a true father is when he holds himself accountable for the physical and spiritual well-being of his family. That is the mark of a biblical father. This is not foreign to the scripture. This is not just, you know, from sociology that we're getting this from. The concept of a father being the spiritual leader of a home does not originate in psychology, does not ori originate in sociology. The truth is that this definition has its origin in the very word of God. Statistics show us that men have left the role of instructing the family in the ways of the Lord and the teaching of moral laws to the mother. The mother takes care of that stuff. Mothers are seen as the ones who take charge on issues of spirituality. It is mothers who dress their kids to go to church now. It is mothers who make sure that the children are uh, well behaved in the service and that they, you know, they, they have some sort of daily devotional and, and that they're, they're keeping up with their daily scriptures and have some sort of prayer altar at home. It is mothers who bear that, the brunt of that burden. But I, I tell you for all you single mothers in the house I, I commend you here tonight you are working hard on double duty operating outside of your gifting I, I hear you on this. You are filling in where a man has lacked. And today I commend you for doing the work that only you know how to do. This is tough. Doing double duty is tough. I commend you. It is necessary. And your reward will be great in heaven for the job that you are doing that hardly gets any recognition. And we need some more godly women of God who may not have a partner but they still have a responsibility in their home to lead their home in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But ladies and gentlemen, may I say that in a household where a father and or a husband is present, this should never be the case. A woman should not bear the brunt of having to lead her home spiritually. Men, it is time to be men. It is time to take on this responsibility. It is time 
time to reclaim biblical manhood. It is time to reclaim the spiritual leadership of our homes. It is time to step up to the plate and assume responsibility for the physical and the spiritual well-being of our families here today. It is our responsibility. I don't ignore the fact that our men work hard for the money. But paying the mortgage and doing one or two chores and completing half of your honey-do list just isn't going to cut it anymore in the kind of generation that we're living in. It's time for men to step up and be the biblical men that God wants you to be and God demands of you. Money is not as important. Your life is not as important as your spiritual soul being sent to hell. Your life is what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your family soul. It doesn't matter a thing and it, it's time that men step up to the plate. If you truly want to see the original intentions of God for the role a man should play and the role a woman should play in a household, you should we should probably look no further than the first marriage before the fall of man, before sin entered the world. That's where Jesus went. That's where Paul went when they try to explain how many or how men and women should relate to each other. That's where they both went. They didn't start with Genesis 3. They didn't normalize the married couple after the fall. They went to the original plan of God from the beginning. From the beginning for marriage and relationships. I, I, tonight I'm going to bring out several points from the book of Genesis to help me prove to you that God created men to be the spiritual and the moral leader of the home. And in a nation where that is not the case, you are going to suffer decay. In a church where that is not the case, we are going to suffer decay. And the reason that I feel like God has placed this in my heart is because I want to go into a new year with this resolution in mind. I, I don't care about losing weight as much as I do about my children making it to heaven. I could care less about making more money and more money. I'm not going to see that money someday, but I want my children to be men of God and men of honor and men that complete and fulfill the will of God in this life. How do you know, preacher, that man was created to be a leader? Well, it's because the first thing Genesis chapter 2 makes clear is that men were created first. Man was created first. That is not a mistake. That is not a mistake. God wants us to know that man was created first. There is a reason for that. Man was first and then after some intervening events the woman was created in chapter 2 I want you look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 again the Lord God formed men of the dust of the ground this is what he said the Lord God formed men of the dust of the ground he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul he became a living soul that's what God did with men it wasn't 
until 14 verses later in verses 21 and 22 where he came back and the Bible said so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib which the Lord God gave to, uh, uh, God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man that's where uh, that was the first marriage and that's where we get the custom of the father escorting his daughter to the man because God was the first to escort Eve to the man he brought Eve to the man I, I want you to say I want you to see the fact that man was created first is an important component in the Bible it is important to God and then we realize that it's also important to the Apostle Paul in first Timothy 2 and 13 where the Apostle Paul is talking about the importance of the order of creation he simply says Adam was formed first and then Eve Adam was formed first and then Eve if you want to see that even more clearly in 1 Corinthians 11 and 9 again Paul makes an allusion to this when he said when he says that the man was not created for the woman but the woman was created for the man in other words the man was created first the man was created first what could possibly God mean through that are we implying in any way that God values men over women my answer here tonight is a resounding no we have absolutely no more inherent value than a woman does before God's eyes not in a million years is a man more valuable than a woman God values both the man and the woman in the same exact way and he does this as evidence in his making both man and woman according to Genesis 1 and 27 he made both man and woman in his image in his image in his likeness both <laughs> why then doesn't he make both of them at the same time from the very same lump of clay if he values both of them, why not make both of them at the same time? Well, I believe that the answer to that is that there is a firstness that God was giving to man. There is a firstness that God was given to men. Oh, but dear men, tonight, before you jump on this to prove to your spouse that you are the king of this castle, that, that is not what God was trying to give you when he gave you firstness. Please hear me out. He made you first to bear the burden of responsibility. You are first. We are first because we bear the burden of primary responsibility. See, in biblical times, it is understood that whatever came first had priority, not only in terms of authority and leadership, but also in terms of responsibility. This is reflected in the importance, for example, of the firstborn son and the law, laws of primogeniture. Primogeniture. Now, many men have taken advantage of this for their own sinful, domineering 
pleasure, abusive pleasure. That is not something the Bible is. Listen, listen, you, we need to, we need to check that as well. And I'm going to tell you why, because it is camouflaged even in Christianity. There's many a man who are coming up in this, and you can see that now. Now you've got, you know, Christian mingle and all these dudes talking about, I love Jesus and I love God. And they're just as much abusers as you will find out in those streets. And we need to check this in the church. We can no longer hide. We can no longer cover it up. We can no longer, we need to preach against it. We need to stay against it we need to see it we need to excommunicate them for being unbelievers and 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 they trample on the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ freshly I'm telling you we need to speak against it let's be extremely clear that biblical authority and leadership does not equal domineering and abuse You know what it equals? It equals leadership, but not just any kind of leadership. It is the leadership that Jesus brought into this world. The first among many brethren. The first among many brethren. He came not to be served, but to serve. The leadership that God has called every man to is servant leadership. It is a leadership of responsibility. It's a leading with compassion. It is a leading with love. It is a leading by sacrifice. It is a leading by example. Husbands, you ought to love your wives. Yes, I know she needs to submit, but you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do in his leadership? He didn't say, hey, fall behind. He didn't say, hey, no. He said, I'm coming to wash your feet I'm coming to die on a cross I'm coming to pay the ultimate price for you I'm coming to love you while I'm being crucified so many men in our generation want the crown without the crucifixion you can't have the crown of leadership without the crucifixion of leadership so the man was created first because he was to be the leader of his household. Now, here's the thing. That's number one. Man was created first. Why? Why is man the leader of his home? He's the leader of his home because one of the responsibilities that came with being there first was the primary responsibility. It's not the only one, but it is the primary responsibility to receive and to teach and be accountable for the moral pattern of life that was given in the Garden of Eden. You see, before woman was created, God came to man in verse 16. Remember, man was created, verse 17. Uh, verse 7. Woman was created 14 verses later in verse 21. Some things happen between the man being created and the woman being created. And in verse 17, chapter 2 and verse 17, this is what God told the man. He said, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely 
die. Can I tell you right now, that commandment right there was not given to the woman. The woman was not created as of yet. There is no record that that pattern of moral life for the garden was repeated by God to the woman. And I think that the writer of Genesis, as he was writing, he expects us to conclude that Adam is entrusted with the moral pattern of the garden and with the primary responsibility of sharing it with Eve and being accountable for the moral pattern that was given to him. You see, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave watch this to her husband with her with her where was Adam Adam was not away working the fields Adam was not away leading the animals Adam was right there with her that's what Romans 5 and verse 12 said by one man sin entered into the world not by one woman woman yeah Eve ate first but he she didn't was not held responsible for sin coming into the world it was by one man you know why because God said I didn't speak to Eve I didn't talk to Eve I didn't give a word to Eve I made you first because I've got something I've got to tell you I've got a moral pattern for how this garden is going to work and it's your responsibility to make sure that everyone is guarding the moral pattern that I give you in this home. Then after the moral pattern had been broken by both of them, him with her, both eight, God came to call them both into account in chapter three. And even though Eve ate first God did not come to Eve God came down and said Adam where are you I never spoke to Eve I spoke to you let's not let's not confuse this um Yes, the woman is also responsible, and you can see that because he cursed them both. So, that, you know, that, that doesn't mean you're not, we're all responsible for our own individual sins. But man has a firstness in responsibility. There's a firstness in responsibility. The Lord God called to man, and he said to him, where are you? Adam where are you? Then verse 11, he is still interrogating Adam. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He didn't say, have y'all 
He said, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Why would God come to the man first? Why would God call him to give an account instead of going to the woman first, especially since she ate that fruit first? The most natural answer is that God gave to the man a primary responsibility for the moral life of the garden. And therefore, he has the primary accountability for the failure to live by that moral pattern. It's his responsibility. I was uh, reading James Dobson. Uh, focus on the family and he sees the tremendous importance of this truth very clearly and the terrible effects when a husband and a father abdicates his responsibility here's what he has to say he said a Christian man is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability if his family has purchased too many items on credit then the financial crunch is ultimately his fault if the family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to the church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, the primary responsibility lies with the father. How important is that? That we've, have, we've even abdicated our responsibility to discipline our children to mothers. Mothers. When a Bible clearly commands fathers. I know in this case it's, it's a generic term, but I, I think there's no mistake when he says fathers, you know, to, to not cause wrath in, in your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is your responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This, this is a call to us. How important is that? You're sitting at a restaurant, and, and I've seen it so many times. You're sitting at a restaurant, and the kids are going crazy, running out about, and you see a man look over at his wife and give her that look of death. Like, what are you doing? Look at your children. Right? As though it was a mother's responsibility. To have her children under subjection in a home where there is a godly father, it is not the mother's respons primary responsibility to have children under subjection. It is your responsibility. As a matter of fact, you can't even become an elder in the church if that is not one of your qualifications in life because you need to learn how to manage your home well and have your children under subjection. That is what you're supposed to do as a man and God has called you to it. In essence, what Dr. Dobson was saying is that God brought man into the scene first as the leader. He entrusted him first with the moral pattern of the garden. He called them to account first for the failure of disobedience. Therefore, even though man and woman bear equal individual responsibility before God for their own disobedience. That's what it means to be created in his image. Nevertheless, in relationship to each other. Man bears a greater responsibility for leadership than woman does. Oh, I, I ask you here tonight, man, what shall you do? I tell you, the way we need to respond to this, 
We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to ask God for forgiveness. This is not a call to exalt yourself over any woman. This is not a call to domineer or to belittle or to put a woman in her place. She is, after all, a fellow heir of God and destined for a glory that will blind you someday. But this is a call to stoop down and to take responsibility as a leader. To say, oh God, my home has lost its altars. Oh God, my children don't know your word. Oh God, it's not going the way your Bible has commanded me. And I must take responsibility. It's a call to men that we should pray like we've never prayed before in 2020. For God to help us with this tremendous responsibility. It is a call to men that we should be in the word more than ever before like you've never been before. Because you can't give what you don't have. God commanded you to give the moral pattern to the rest of your family. It's because he spoke it to you first. You need to read it. You need to value it. You need to cherish it. You need to have it upon your heart. You need to make sure that you study the word of God. You need to make sure that you study to show thyself approved. You need to make sure that you know the word. It's a it's a call to you that we should plan times of devotion more than we ever have and to be intentional and thoughtful in the ministry of teaching. It's a, it's a call here today that we should really seek God's face and ask him for creativity. Help us, God. Help us to learn how to preach your gospel to my children. Give me a song. Give me a pattern. Give me a word. Give me a way that they would love it. Give me a way. Tradition teaches us that the Hebrew men, when they would teach their infant babies the Shema, they would dip their, uh, they would dip their finger in the honey, and they would pour a little honey on the tongue of that little child, and then they would go, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Because they wanted those children to associate the word of God with what was sweet, with what was kind, with what was pleasurable. God, give us some creativity in this new world. Give us some creativity, oh God, that we may show our children to love your church, to love your people, to love your kingdom, oh God. It is a call for men to be men and to have some courage in their home. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, it is absolutely tough to have courage. But sometimes you've got to stand up and say, nope, that video game is not right. That movie cannot be watched at my home. That kind of music cannot enter here. No, I know everybody else dresses that way, but you cannot dress that way as long as you live under the tutelage of my home because I've received the moral pattern. I've received the moral pattern of God's kingdom and you can't, you just can't do it. Men, we've got to stand up. We've got to come before the Lord and ask him, humble us and heal us 
in all our relationship for his glory and for our joy. I, uh, I made two resolutions this year for 2020, and usually I, I, I stick to two because I can't, uh, I, co- I can't go beyond two. I try to keep those resolutions to the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. This last decade, I've had some really, really good ones. Some that I have, uh, actually, I've actually, uh, I've actually completed most, most of them. Um, but there was one in 2000, I want to say it was 14 or 15. One resolution I could not keep. I made a resolution that I would make my bed every single morning. Two days into the year. And uh, I realized I had made a mistake. There's some resolutions that were tough, but I did keep. Uh, One year, I abstained from drinking soda all year long. That was tough, but I kept that one. That was, a, that was a good one. That was a good one. I ain't doing it again. <clears throat> I, I was having a hard time this year. I was having a hard time with uh, my resolutions. I, was, I kept thinking to myself, uh, what could be my two resolutions this year? Um, and I believe that I've, I've, I've discovered it for myself. The first one I, I kind of got last week. And I feel like this coming year, let me, let me tell you something about myself. I am a hermit. I don't come out of my home. When I'm home, I am home. We hardly ever talk at home. <laughs> we really don't talk at home. Um, my, both my boys are exactly uh, like I. And um, we literally text each other from... <clears throat> That's... Caleb, I'm leaving in five minutes. Uh, you know, and he says, okay, as he's walking by. (laughs) But I was in prayer, and I I felt impressed that this year, I'm going to have a personal resolution. I want to Preach the gospel of somebody and personally disciple them and see them grow in the Lord. As Paul said of the church, I would want to birth you back again unto the Lord. That's, that's what I, I want to birth someone yeah, unto God. I, I, I want to be able to teach a Bible study. And, I, and, and my resolution is, is going to bring me out of my comfort zone. I'm going to start studying at Starbucks. I'm going to learn my neighbor's names. I'm going to go out out of my, even as I say this, I'm, I'm 
kind of running a high fever. I don't like people. But I, I want to challenge myself. I can't preach this to you if I'm not living it myself. I, 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 want, I want you to know that I truly do value every single word of God in his scripture. That I truly do believe in a physical heaven and a physical hell. That I do have a strong burden for everyone to be saved. The more I keep quiet, the more I am proving to everyone that I really don't care. That I really don't have the compassion that I'm preaching about. And so I've asked God, give me a heart of compassion. Help me to learn apologetics and more of your word that I may give a good answer to them who asks it. I want, I want to do that. That was my first one. That, that is a tough one. The second one, I'll give you a little context for it. This year, uh, at the beginning of this year, my resolution was a financial one, a financial resolution. And I just wanted to see if, if I really pushed myself, if I could reach certain financial goals of mine. And let me tell you, I, I, I've got my, you know, I've got my spreadsheet out. I, you know, I take account of everything that comes in. I just wanted to make sure. Well, last week, I fulfilled my financial goals for the year. I fulfilled all of my financial goals. My God, we've been eating steak this year. But I did that at a price. I've done that at a price. I feel like in prayer, there are some things that are far more important and valuable to me than the gaining of more money and more things and more experiences. I vow here today, I'm going to be a godly father. I'm going to bring up my children this year in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to make sure that my bills are paid, but I could care less how much in my bank account. I could care less how much I'm making or what I'm driving or where I'm living or what I'm wearing. I could care less about those things. I vow here today that in 2020, I'm going to be a man after God's own heart in my home. I'm coming to my family. Tonight, I feel impressed of the Lord to ask every man that is in this congregation the question that God is asking a fatherless generation is, Adam, where are you? Where are you? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, 2020? What are you going to do this next decade? With the children that God has given you the privilege to father, what are you going to do about leading them and nurturing them in the ways of the Lord? What are you going to do? 
And women, you that are raising boys, what are you going to do to raise these boys to understand that they need to get in the word, that they need to develop spiritual disciplines in their lives as well? What are you going to do about that? And what are we going to do about supporting these men and encouraging them along the way and bringing up and, and forming groups that we may study together and learn more of the word together and text each other and stimulate each other unto love and good works. What are we going to do as a body about that? And so today I make a clear, a clear declaration. Men, we need to wake up. We're living in a generation that is characterized by fatherlessness but not in the church of God we need to wake up we need to be men again we need to be spiritual priests of our home we need to get, gather our children and our family and bring them to the altar we need to say Lord forgive us but in 2020 I'm going to be a man after God's own heart I make this call to everybody but specifically men if you would heed that call this is an altar here to Today. I want to call you to this altar here today. I want you to come and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that man and that father that leads my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to know his word. I want to teach it to my family. I want to be the first to get to church and the last one to leave. I want them to know how much I value his word. I want them to know how much I value his voice. I want them to know my spiritual disciplines. I failed at dad but I'm coming back I'm calling you men I'm calling you single men as well to come and pray over your children I know it's tough I know the arrangements you've made is tough but I want you to intercede on their behalf I'm calling you men that have abdicated that responsibility to somebody else I want you to fight for this I want you to fight for your family I want you to be present men I want you to be there I want you to intercede on behalf of those who will come. Come on, man. Let us lift up our voices. And would you help us? Would you help us pray? Would you help us pray and intercede right now? We need to make some vows. We need to make some promises. We need to ask God to help us here. We need to ask God to help. Oh, God, help us, oh, Lord. We come before you and we repent. But 2020, oh, Oh God, we need you more than ever before. Help us, oh Lord, to study your word. Help us to teach it to our children. Help us to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable. Come on, all over this building, all over this building, let's have a little time of intercession. Let's have a little time of, of coming before the Lord and asking him to raise up a group of men in this church, a group of men that will give of their time and their resources to their family and their church. God, raise up a group of men in this church who would not abdicate this responsibility, who would nurture their children in the love and nurture and admonition of the Lord. Raise up a group of fathers, O oh Lord, who are honorable, who have integrity, who have a heart after
after you who know how to pray. Raise up husbands, oh God, who know how to wash, oh God, their families and their spouse through the word, oh God. Raise up a generation that serves you here today. Raise up strong family. Raise up strong families in the church. Give us strong families, oh God, I pray. Give us strong families, I pray. Give us strong families. Come on, man, lift your voices and pray a blessing over your children now. Pray a blessing over your home. Call them out by name. Intercede on behalf of your spouse. Intercede on behalf of your child. Intercede on behalf of your girl. Intercede on behalf of... Come on, we need some men to stand up. Intercede on behalf of your backslidden children. Oh, come on. We need some people who would cry over the well-being of their children. We need some men who would weep over the well-being of their children, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional. God, make us apt, oh Lord. Give us tools. Give us resources. Give us creativity. We need men after your heart. We need men, oh God. We need men, Jesus, in our homes that we may have a heart after you, oh God. That we may have a heart after you. That we may have a heart after you. Give us honorable grandfathers. Give us men that know how to carry the burden of responsibility, oh God. Give us men that know Jesus. Men that know this command. In Jesus' name.